take your Bible, and, and uh, if you will, turn to page 7. We'll be there in just a moment. And we're going to look at some verses just to kind of build a little background, a little foundation for what I want to talk about today. And we'll work our way through it. I'll give you the page number, and you'll, you'll get there with me. And I chose to just take one of your Bibles so we're all on the same page number. At least I hope we are. On page 7, I hope you're in Genesis chapter 6. Is that anywhere near? Okay, well, that's good. Uh, I have a little Bible at home marked Tuesday Bible lunch, so when I send in the page numbers, I have what they have. What I want to talk to you today about is obeying God without questioning God. Now, you may or may not have thought about that, but, you know, sometimes when we read something in the Bible uh, and we begin to think about how that applies to us, we, we begin to kind of question God. Now, God, how am I going to do that? Uh, you know, I don't, whatever. Um, or maybe the Spirit of God impresses upon you something that does not contradict the Word of God. That's called a rhema. And uh, you, you say, like, I feel like this is what God's telling me to do. Well, like, then you begin to explain to God, kind of, you know, why you can't do that. Well, that's questioning God. But here's the exciting thing to me in the Bible. There are just endless illustrations of people that God told to do, uh, in some cases, very almost unimaginable things, and they didn't hiccup. They just did it. Now, you're on page number seven, and I thought, well, let me just show the people some of those. Well, there's Noah. You're in Genesis chapter six. If you look down... uh, In verse number 14, God just plainly told Noah, make yourself an ark of gopher wood and make the rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. And then as you read those following verses, he tells Noah how to do it. But look down in verse 22. Now remember, it never had even rained and God's telling Noah to build an ark. Well, verse verse 22 says, Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. So there's a classic example of God telling somebody to do something, and they didn't hesitate. They didn't question God. They just moved on. Now, turn, if you will, to page number 11. Let's just do this together. I'll turn with you. We're over on page 11. And when we get here, we're in Genesis chapter number 12. And again, God tells Abraham, verse 1, the Lord said to Abraham, get out of your country from your family from your father's house to a land that I will show you. He didn't even tell Abraham where he's going. But if you look down in verse four, the Bible says, Abraham asked God to explain it. No, verse four says, Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. He didn't question God. And on the surface, I've tried to imagine, how did Abraham feel when God said, leave your home, your family, your relatives, your friends, and I'm going to send you to another place, and I'll tell you later where it is. Now, I'll tell you what, do turn to page number 19. Let's flip over on page 19. God told Abraham to do something that I, I, I think I would have asked God some questions about, probably you as well. In Genesis chapter 22, page 19, God said to Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. Now, I've read this chapter many times, and I've tried to think, now, how, 
what would my emotions have been had God told me to do a thing like that? Well, if you look down in verse 9, it says, Then they, that's Abraham and his son Isaac, came to the place which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Another classic example of God saying, Hey, this is what I want you to do. And they did not question God one iota. No, no, no debate about it, just immediate obedience. I think that is a blessed thing. Now, turn over on page number 63. Let's, let's journey over to page 63. And when we can get there, you're going to be in Exodus chapter 14. Really, it begins on page 62, but we're going to be looking over in 63. They get to the Red Sea. Moses is leading the children of, uh, of, of Israel, the children of God, the Hebrew people, out of the Egyptian bondage. And now they come to the, to the Red Sea. And God, verse 16, page 63, verse 16, God said to Moses, lift up your rod, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Now, on the surface, that wouldn't have made any sense to anybody. But look down in verse 21. The Bible says, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land and the waters were divided. Well, that, uh, that's an amazing thing. Now turn over to the New Testament, page 965. Let's just journey over to page 965. Uh, I'm journeying with you. We're gonna, I'm going to finally get there. You've probably already beat me. This, all right, we're on page, well, actually, you can't find page 965. <laughs> the numbers, you find 963, and then you've got the Acts of the Apostles, 964, Acts chapter 1 is where we are. Now, this is an interesting thing here. God tells the disciples in verse 4, this is soon before Jesus is going to send back into heaven. He said, being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard, have heard from me before. That's what he said do. Now, if you look down in verse 12, no debate about it. I'm sure they didn't understand it, but here's what they did. They returned to Jerusalem, the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And then they went, of course, into the upper room. So here's another great example. Now, turn to page 974. Uh, on page 974, we have another great, great example uh, of, 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 of Philip. Oh, 974. And if you look with me, I'm trying to find my own place here. Now, in verse 29, here we go. The Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake the chariot. Now, that he saw the Ethiopian eunuch. But look in verse 30. Philip ran to him. I mean, here it is. God said, this is what you do. Here comes this eunuch along in the chariot. You go to him. And what did he do? Well, the very next verse, he, he ran to him. And he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. And of course, he then shared with him what he was reading, how he could help him understand it. Now, if you go over on page 976, this is to me a very, another great example. On page 976, uh, we, we're dealing with Peter. 
And if you look in verse number 10, we're just having verse number 19, excuse me. You're in Acts chapter number 10, but you're in verse 19. While Peter thought about the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are seeking you. Arise therefore and go out and go with them, not doubting nothing, for I have sent you. And then in verse 21, Peter went down. He's over in Joppa. Of course, uh, Cornelius is over here at Caesarea by the sea. You know that old, that wonderful New Testament story. But the point I make is here's another example of God telling someone to do something. They do not question God one bit. Let's look at one other example. And I know you'll be worn out with the examples. But, but look on page 983. Let's turn to page 983. Uh, here, here's, a, here's a great example here about the Apostle Paul. And, of course, we're over in chapter 16, and uh, it's a very interesting thing happens here. A vision, if you look down in verse number 9, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. He said, a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, look in verse 10. After he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. Luke's including himself in that group. So I just picked out a few. We're not going to turn to any more of those. But I just thought I'm just going to take the Bible and kind of point out a few, and uh, we'll kind of look at them together. The, the point is, and I need the point, that when we're reading our Bible, oftentimes as we read the Bible, which is the primary way God speaks to us. Now, there are secondary ways that God speaks to us, and, and we won't have time to develop all that, but Another way God speaks to us in the Bible, we read about, um, it's translated in English word, word, W-R-D, but, but it comes from the Greek word rhema. And it means a, a, an utterance where the Spirit of God just puts into your spirit, this is what you're to do. And the, the, the thing you want to be sure about that is, if you feel like God, his, his spirit is put in your spirit, and he, we've all had this happen. We may not have thought about, hey, I'm experiencing a rhema. We may not have ever heard of rhema, but you've had times you felt like God impressed you to do something, okay? Always be sure what it is you feel like God's impressed you to do does not contradict what the Bible teaches. You know, I mean, just, just someone can't just say, well, I had a thought. This is what I need to do. Well, be sure the thought that you think God gave you lines up with what Scripture says. And then, of course, God speaks to it through circumstances and people and music and messages and devotionals and books. And, but, but the bottom line is, the main way God's going to speak to us, He's going to speak to us through His holy inspired Word. Now, I mentioned you in the little email that I sent that I had something today when you leave to, to pick up as you go out. Some years ago, Adrian Rogers, who for many, many years was pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, and one of the most godly men, one of the great preachers of our time, uh, he shared some things that we need to consider when we're reading the Bible that will help us uh, just have a better experience reading the Bible. And uh, I have them for you. I'm going to put them on the screen. We're going to deal with them, and uh, we won't elaborate on them, but then when you leave, you can pick up the card or pick up more than one card if you want to, and it'll fit right in your pocket or, or your purse or whatever, or stick it in front of your Bible or put it where you have your Bible reading time. It's something for you to do. I'm saying what I'm sharing with you has helped me in wonderful ways. As I, as I read the Bible, and especially as I read the promises in the Bible, 
Um, and I begin to ask myself these six things, it is a blessing. First of all, number one, as you read the Word of God, always ask yourself, is there a promise to claim? Is there a promise to claim? For example, in our church, in, in the summer, June, July, and August, I'm, I'm challenging the people, or I'm asking the people, or I'm suggesting the people <laughs> that each week, we memorize a Bible promise and I'm giving the promises and I'm saying, look, you don't have to go by the list I'm giving you. Make up your own list. But at the end of June, July, and August, you will have memorized, you may already know them. Maybe you learned some new ones. You'll have 12 Bible promises committed to memory. You see, the Bible has thousands of promises and they really are our weapons when Satan comes to discourage us and defeat us or whatever. When you have these promises, you store them up when you don't need them. So when you do need them, they're there. It's like you're, you're, you're loading up and you have them in your mind and then something comes along. For example, is there a promise to claim? Well, the promise that people, I hope, are memorizing this week is 1 John 1, 9. And 1 John 1, 9 is one of the greatest Bible promises for Christians in the whole Bible. It says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That word confess means you agree with God. It's not like we say, hey, God, I know you don't know this, but um, I did this or I thought this or whatever. No, God knows. But it, the, the issue is God wants us to acknowledge to him we know. And that's a promise. And so when I read that promise, I say, okay, God, now today, um, out there in the traffic jam on Fairmont, I had several thoughts go through my mind <laughs> that I don't think would be what you would want, you know. And, uh, you, you know, I need to just kind of, you know, get, I just need to ask you to forgive me for being even thinking that way or whatever it may be. Or someone you're trying to, you know, in this things happen, you know, during the day just in normal life where, you know, it used to be the customer was always what? Yeah, now today, if the customer asks even a question, the customer is now stupid. You know, we're not allowed to even, you know, we just, at, we're at the mercy of whatever they do to us. Well, it didn't used to be that way. The customer's always right, no, and there are some companies that kind of operate that way today. But, but, but that's a great, is there a promise to claim? So as you read these Bible promises, you know, God will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is steady because you trust him. That'll be our people's promise the following week that I suggest that whatever they want to do with it, they can. But that's great. Number two, is there a lesson to learn? You're reading the Bible. I mean, we're reading these stories. I mean, Moses at the Red Sea. Well, I'm not going to get at the Red Sea. I don't think God's going to tell me to offer John or Joel on a sacrifice, but there's a principle in all these Old Testament stories, especially there are life principles. And I ask myself, now God, in this lesson that I've just read about Noah, you told Noah to do something that absolutely made no sense on the surface and he immediately obeyed. Now, as I read that, is your lesson I need to learn from that? And I can think of many illustrations of that and you can do the very same thing. Number three, is there a blessing to enjoy? That's a great, you know, <laughs> I mean, like, well, go back to 1 John 1, 9. Boy, there's no blessing feels better than having your sins forgiven. 
You know, you've admitted to God that you, you sinned and you put that sin in the blood of Jesus and ask God for his forgiveness and he promises to forgive. That's a great feeling. It's a marvelous, a blessing to enjoy. Number four, is there a command to obey? Now, you know, boy, that, that'll, that'll be so searched. I don't know what many Christian people do, for example, when they read they're supposed to tithe. They say, well, that's in the Old Testament. It's just like the Old Testament's not the word of God. Well, it's in the New Testament too. You know, we, we kind of pick and choose. We need to be careful about whatever it may, what about forgiving someone? Well, you say, well, yeah, but you don't, oh, wait a minute. The Bible says we're to forgive as God's forgiven us. Well, that gets about, you know, that's where the rubber hits the road. Is there a command to obey? And as we read the Bible, these, these verses we read, these stories we read, these promises we read, that's a great thing. Number five, is there a sin to avoid? You know, you read about, well, you know, you might want to, well, let's say a, a David and Bathsheba. You read in that story, you know, where he looked down and, and you say, is there a sin to avoid? I guess you could say, well, what I need to do there is stay off the top of, stay off the roof of the house. Uh, No, I I think there, I don't think we're going to be on a roof of a house, but you read that story. I mean, see, that's the whole point. You can read that story and say, well, you know, that's a mess. Well, it it was a mess. And he, he, he finally confessed it. It was sin. Nice God's forgiveness received God's good. But the point is, uh, you know, there, there, is a, there is a sin to avoid, whether it be that sin, whatever sin. And then number six, uh, is there a new thought to carry with me? Now, when you leave today, we've got these little cards out there and you pick them up. At the very bottom of the card, it says, and I think this is so very important. And, and I think here's where we kind of mess up. Put it in writing. Like when you're, when you're reading the Bible, now, I'm not saying this is, you don't, you may have a better way. I'm just saying this might help. It sure helps me. Uh, if I don't write things down as I read the Bible that God's showing me that I need to change or work on or a uh, blessing I need, I, I just, my mind can't keep all that together. But so I have a, my little journal that I write these things, write it down. Have a pen and paper ready to write down things that God shows you. I think that is so very, very important. As you just read the Bible. You know, I say to Dottie, Dottie teaches a Sunday school class, and, and I've encouraged her. And the other day she came in and she said, you know, this thing you've encouraged me to do, um, it, it's right. And I, I wanted to say to her, for 58 years I've been trying to tell you things that are wrong. But... I remembered this. Is there a sin to avoid? I thought, boy, don't go there. Uh, <laughs> is there a lesson to learn? You bet. I say to her, before you get these, com- these teachers' books to teach you what the lesson says, just read the Bible first. Take you a pad and read your scripture you're going to teach and just jot down things you see. And then when you thought that through and exhausted that through, then you might want to go to these other sources and see what others are saying. You'll, you know, they're having insights you've not. But I think we really miss a blessing when we just go to commentaries and let us learn what somebody else said. Do that last. Let God's word say to you first, put it in writing. I have a philosophy at church. Staff knows this. It is this. If it's not on paper, it's not. They say to me now, well, it's not, it's in the computer. I say, print it, print it. If it's not on paper, it's not. You know, you get it on paper, 
It's on paper, and there it is. Now, the, the whole deal is, when you, when you feel God, you read your Bible primarily, and you read something, and you say, you know, I think that out of that, God's telling me there's something I need to do, there's something I need to change, or whatever it might be, and I'm just going to take God's Word at face value, black ink on on white paper, and I'm just going to obey God and, and trust Him for the consequences. Now, there's a little safety valve to that that will help you, and you might want to remember at least the first part of this verse. It's in Colossians chapter 3. It's in verse 15. Colossians 3, verse 15. Here's what it says. Let the peace of God rule your hearts. So what I'm saying is this, is I read things and I think, you know, I believe maybe this is something God's telling me I need to do. And I don't have any peace about it. I need to wait till I get some peace about it. Now, it may be that's still what God's telling me to do, but maybe, maybe I'm not ready yet to do it. Or maybe what it is I'm to do, the situation's not as it needs to be for it to, to, to work out this moment. But I've just found it. You know, that. let the peace of God rule your heart. Like that word rule conveys the idea of an umpire. You know, baseball has umpires. And they call balls and strikes. Like they don't let the pitcher and catcher decide if it was this or that. The, the umpire says it's either a strike or a ball. Well, the Word of God is our umpire. The Word of God rules. And you say, well, you know, all that's deep. But let me tell you, you know if you have peace about something, and if God tells you to do something, and you have peace in your heart, that's what God has told you to do. My experience is when I have peace, I still may not, like Abraham, when he left his homeland to go to a land that God didn't even tell him where it was, I do believe he had peace. God told him to do that. You don't always have to have the, the end of the story to know that's what God told you to do. Like when God put in my heart that our church was to relocate from the old location to this location, I had peace in my heart. I had to have peace in my heart about that. I couldn't wait and see how the people voted to say, you know, I just believe this is what God has put in my heart for us to do. And you know, if they'd have voted the whole thing down, I still would have had peace in my heart that God told me to do it. Now, did I, did I know it was going to all be like this? No. I didn't have a clue how it was going to be. I just knew what God had put in my heart. I remember we, God put in my heart to start the Christian school. Well, when I first presented that to the church, the church just had questions about it. They had not thought about it. They hadn't had time to think about it. They hadn't prayed about it. They hadn't had time to think about it. And there was a lot of unrest about that. Well, about a year and a half later, I still just had the overwhelming peace that that's what God had put in my heart. And I went back to the church and shared it with them and asked them to think about it and pray about it. And, and I will remember one Sunday morning, we voted on as a church, back to the old location. And 50-something people didn't feel like that was what God thought we should do. They were good people. They just didn't have a, you know, they, you know, they had whatever they had. But I mean, like <laughs> hundreds upon hundreds, just either God had put that in their heart or they trusted God to put that in my heart. Now, how did it all turn out? <laughs> well, well, you know, all I got to say about the relocation of the church, well, here we sit. You know, that, this wasn't my deal. God put in my heart, I didn't know the end of the story, but I had a peace about it. 
like when I came here to be the pastor, I had no idea what was ahead, but I had peace that God had put in my heart to leave Sulphur Springs and to come here. And, and, and you've had that you could just stand up and, and share these same kind of experiences. I'm just saying to you, I really think these little six things will be very helpful to you. I hope you'll pick them up. I hope you'll use them. And I hope you'll find they'll help you in a very special way. Now, I'm going to voice a prayer in a moment. One of our most faithful Tuesday Bible launchers, Peggy Halsey, was here last Tuesday in church last Wednesday night. 93 years of age, has gone with us to the Holy Land, Paul's journeys. I mean, this lady served on the building committee of all three phases of building these buildings. One of the best personnel committee members that I ever had in all my years. And one of the great, great blessings and encouragements to me. Last Friday, um, she had a stroke. And now she's with the Lord. And I, and, and I want us today to just, as we bow just for a moment, she has, she has uh, two sons and a daughter. And let's us just pray, pray a blessing upon them and, and thank God for people like Peggy that have really preached better sermons in their life than I've ever even imagined from the pulpit. Let's pray. God, I do thank you for people like Peggy Halsey who have just lived the Christian life and lived to the fullest. And I thank you for your mercy that the angels just came when she had that stroke and escorted her to heaven. We bless you for that. I pray for the children, the family. And Lord, I just thank you for each one here today and I pray your blessings and protection and presence upon them. In Jesus' name, amen.